The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6 through 18. John chapter 1. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word together? John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and let's ask for his mercy and his grace. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we... I've just heard the gospel announcement that you have given us the right to become children of God. And as your children, we cry out to you now, Abba, Father. And we ask that your spirit would give us eyes to behold the glory of your Son. And we ask that your spirit would turn our hearts towards him and open our hearts that we may receive him, that we may receive grace upon grace. For we ask it in his name, in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, you'll remember how John's gospel begins. We considered that last week, the beginning of John's gospel. And he begins with the words, in the beginning. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Everything was made through him, and in him was life, and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John begins in eternity past, and he begins by giving us a cosmic perspective on who Jesus is. The gospel has cosmic significance. There couldn't be a bigger scope for the gospel. It concerns all eternity. It concerns all creation. 
So John begins there. He begins in eternity past. He begins in this, giving us this cosmic scope. But then immediately in verse 6, there's a change. There's a transition. He takes us from that cosmic, eternal context, and he puts us right firmly on the ground in history. Because he tells us there was a man sent from God. His name was John. So we have eternity past, and we have the word with God, and we've got light, and we've got darkness, and now we have a man. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now we are right in the midst of history. We're on the ground. And we're told that this John came to bear witness to the light, the very light that John has declared. And we're told that he was in the world. The light was in the world. But the world did not recognize him. And we're told that the light came to his own, to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. He was not recognized and he was not received. And there's a word for this. Not recognizing him, not receiving him. The word for that is unbelief. Unbelief. Now John has written his gospel that we may believe. That's the purpose of this gospel. That we might believe. He says this at the end of the gospel. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John has written this whole gospel that we might believe. In other words, that we might recognize who Jesus is. And that we might receive him. And here at the beginning of the gospel, in these opening verses in the prologue, He is concerned that from the outset, from the beginning, we recognize who he is and we receive him. So in these verses, John wants us to see him, to recognize him. And in particular, he wants us to see his glory. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. And John wants us to receive him, and he wants us to receive his grace, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so that's why I've entitled this sermon, Seeing His Glory and Receiving His Grace. John wants us to recognize him, to see him, and he wants us to receive him, to receive his grace. Now, this is going to be a doctrinal sermon. Because we we need to see what John wants us to see. So there's going to be a bit of theology in this sermon. One of the church fathers, Gregory the Great, when he was speaking of Scripture, he said the Scripture is both deep and shallow. He said it's so deep that an elephant can swim in it. It's so shallow that a young child can can play in it. And what he meant by that, is there something I can do about this? I'll just carry on. What he meant by that is we can never plumb the depths of Scripture. There's always more and more to learn. And at the same time, Scripture is clear, it's simple, a child can hear it. And that's my goal this morning, that kids, you're listening, and you'll be able to hear and understand what I'm saying, what John reveals to us about who Jesus is and receiving his grace. But those of us that have been Christians our whole lives I hope this isn't just a reminder, but this, this strengthens and deepens your faith. That we recognize more deeply who Jesus is. And that we receive more deeply, more fully, his grace. 
So first John wants us to see his glory, to recognize who he is. And he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The word became flesh. Now, as you read through Scripture, you'll find that often the word flesh is a word that designates human weakness, human frailty, our mortality. The grass withers, the flowers fade, all flesh is grass. And we don't usually associate this term flesh with glory, as John does here. But what John is telling us is that In our moment of greatest need, in our moment of darkness, when we were most lost, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He came to us. He entered into our darkness. And when John is speaking about darkness here in the opening chapter, he's not thinking in terms of an abstract philosophical sense, you know, light and darkness. And what we need is enlightenment. No, the darkness is personal. We're the darkness. It's us. It's our hearts, it's our sin, it's our depravity. The light shines in our darkness. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us in our moment of greatest darkness and lostness. Now this week somebody gave me a book. They, they had found it on the way to church, just sitting on the side of the curb. Somebody had it in a box of books they were giving away. And the person noticed this book and gave it to me. The book is called Life After God. It's written by a Canadian author named Douglas Copeland. And the book gives a number of short stories, and one of the short stories is about a man in his late 20s named Scout. It's an interesting name, Scout. He's looking for something. And this is how Scout introduces himself in this story. Some facts about me, he says. I think I am a broken person. I seriously question the road my life has taken, and I endlessly rehash the compromises I have made in my life. I have an unsecure and vaguely crappy job in an amoral corporation so that I don't have to worry about money. I put up with halfway relationships so as not to have to worry about loneliness. I have lost the ability to recapture the purer feelings of my younger years in exchange for a streamlined, narrow-mindedness that I assumed would propel me to the top. What a joke. Compromise is said to be the way of the world, yet I find myself feeling sick, trying to accept what it has done to me. The little yellow pills, the lost sleep. And then he reports some things that happened in his life. And the story ends like this. And this is the end of the book. It's a scout speaking again. Now here is my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God. That I am sick and I can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I am no longer capable of giving. To help me to be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Now this book was written back in the 90s by a Canadian author, but I think this still articulates the secret cry of many people's hearts in Canada today. 
Now, God has answered this secret cry of this person's heart. But it wasn't the answer that he was specifically requesting. It's not that the Lord has said, yes, I will help you to be kind. I will help you to be generous. I will help you to love. I see that you are struggling there, and I will, you know, you're, you're, you're swimming and you're struggling, and I'll, I'll lend you a hand. I'll lift you up. I'll lift you out. Because that's not actually what we need. We don't just need self-improvement. We don't need God to help us to be more kind and more loving and more generous. The reality is not that we are struggling to swim. The reality is that we are dead and our body is at the bottom of the ocean. And we need to be rescued there. We need to be resurrected. And this is what John says in verse 14 when he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He means by that the Word entered our darkness. He entered that place where we most desperately needed him. When we were dead at the bottom of the ocean, he came down to the depths. He grabbed a hold of us. He brought us up. He gave us new life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The problem is our sin, our depravity, our wickedness, our rebellion against God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He sought us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in his flesh, we see the manifestation of his glory. And in particular, as we read through John's gospel, it is in his flesh beaten and scourged, pierced and nailed, in his flesh, hung up on the tree, that we see his glory most clearly manifest. Now, listen to what John says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. But he doesn't just say that. Notice whose glory he has seen. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now John has written in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's another way of saying, In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God. And what John is telling us is that the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. It's the glory of the only Son, from the Father. And that's why he says in verse 18, the last verse from our reading, no one has ever seen God, but the only God, the only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now this is what John is saying here. The only Son who was with the Father in the beginning, who's at the Father's side. And this is a reference to the intimate unity of the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son dwell together in an eternal communion, an eternal bond of life and love. It's an eternal, intimate bond. And what John is telling us here is that the Son, who dwells in that eternal, intimate bond of life and love, has made the Father known to us. He has shown us the Father. And he doesn't just mean there that the Son gives us certain information about the Father. Let me tell you a few things about the Father. He's not just saying that. He is saying that in the Son, we see and we know the Father himself. 
And the Son doesn't just give us information about the Father. The Son shows us the Father, and the Son leads us to the Father so that we know the Father intimately, personally. And as we read through the Gospel, we'll find that what this means is that the Son comes and He invites us into and He draws us into the very life and love of the Father and the Son. We enter into their life, their love. We dwell in the Father's side just as the Son does. That's what it means that the Son has made Him known. Now here we need to be clear. Because sometimes you will hear Christians and you will hear religious scholars generally speak about the Abrahamic faiths. And they'll say, you know, Christians and Muslims, we worship the same God. And we're all children of God. That's a perspective that is sometimes given. This one verse, John 1.14, reveals that to be a lie. The Word became flesh, the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, Islam denies every word of that sentence. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know God because the Son has made Him known to us. And Islam denies the Son. Denies that the Son became flesh. Denies that the Son was crucified and raised. We don't worship the same God. We need to be clear about that. And there are many Muslims who are longing to know the Father. They are longing to know the Son by the Spirit. Now here's the next question that comes to our mind. How is it that we see the glory of the Son? Yes, the Son has made the Father known to us. But how do we know the Son? How do we recognize the Son? That's what belief is, what faith is, recognizing the Son. How is it that we see the Son? And here we see the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who reveals the Son to us. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15. This is verses 26 and 27. But when the Comforter comes, when the Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Notice, the Son is from the Father. Jesus says here, the Spirit is from the Father. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. The Spirit will bear witness about me. The Spirit will reveal me. You will know me by the Spirit. And then he says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now here's the doctrine. Here's the theology of this. It is the Spirit of God who reveals to us the Son. We know the Son because the Spirit makes Him known to us. And the Son, in turn, reveals the Father. And we know the Father because the Son has made Him known to us. But it's not just that. The Spirit doesn't just show us the Son. The Spirit draws us to the Son. The Spirit binds us to the Son. He joins us to the Son. And having been joined to the Son, the Son then leads us to the Father. 
He takes us to the Father. And so I just want us to see this this movement of the Spirit revealing the Son to us and the Son revealing to the the Father to us and the Spirit taking us to the Son, drawing us to the Son, and then the Son drawing us to the Father. And here there's another question now. How is it that the Spirit then reveals the Son to us? How does that happen? We hear that the Son was in the world. The world did not recognize Him. How is it that we recognize Him? How is it that the Spirit makes Him known to us? And Jesus has just told us in verse 27 here, John 15, 27, Yes, the Spirit will bear witness about me. And then He turns to His disciples and He says, And you also will bear witness about me. Now here's what's going on. Jesus is saying to them, the Holy Spirit will bear witness about me. He will show you the Son. He will bring you to the Son. But the way He will do that is through your witness. You're my disciples. You're my apostles. You've been with me from the beginning. Through your testimony, the Spirit of God will bear witness to the Son. In other words, God's Spirit shows us the Son through the Word of God. And that means every time we pick up God's Word, every time we listen to the Word of God, the Spirit of God is present showing us the Son, bringing us to the Son. How is it that we have seen His glory? We see His glory every time we hear the Word of God. Every time we submit to the Word of God and listen to the Word of God. This is why John says this at the beginning of his letter. So this is 1 John 1. First three verses. John says, That which was from the beginning, speaking about the Word, the Son, and then notice what he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Now, how can he say that? Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus is the eternal life. He's the life. The Son was made manifest to us. And John says, we heard Him and we saw Him and we held Him with our hands because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim it now to you. We preach it to you. We write it to you. That you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now what John is saying is, as you receive my letter, as you receive my gospel, I am bearing witness to the Son. What I've seen, what I've heard, what I've grabbed hold of with my hands, we proclaim it to you. So again, every time we pick up the Word of God, the Spirit of God is present there and He is drawing us to the Son. He is showing us the Son. Yes, we too can say we have seen His glory. And we see it when we hear the Word of God, submit to it, and obey it. Now this means that as we grow in the Scriptures, 
Sunday by Sunday, as we gather here and we, and we hear the Word of God read and we hear the Word of God preached. What that means is day by day, week by week, the Spirit of God is showing us the Son and He is drawing us to the Son. And the Son is leading us to the Father. And that means as we grow in the Scriptures, as we grow in the Word of God together, as we submit to His Word Sunday by Sunday, we are being drawn into more deeply the love of the Father and the Son and the life of the Father and the Son. And I can tell you, I, I, I was four years old when my mom shared the Gospel with me, and I remember that moment clear as, as any other memory I have. I remember believing what she told me about Jesus. And I was really happy about it. And I've believed it and been really happy about it ever since. But I'm not, I don't just study and read the Word of God and seek to obey the Word of God because I think, okay, this is true and I need to understand it better and I want to know how to live my life. I found over the years as I study this Word, I come to know the Son and the Father more deeply. I know His love more deeply. I know His life more deeply. Again, that's why we gather together Sunday by Sunday. We are entering into the very life and love of God. And this is why John says in verse 16, For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So yes, we recognize the Son in Jesus. It's the Spirit that shows us the Son. But also we receive him. We receive him. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Now, here's an important word in John's Gospel. It's an important word in the Bible. Grace. Grace. This may surprise you, but this is the last time the word grace is going to appear in John's Gospel. This is it. Not going to hear the word grace again. What you are going to hear again and again is not the word grace, but the verb love. And as John speaks of the love of God, it is an exposition of this grace. Now, think of the most famous verse of John's Gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is what grace is. God so loved the world that he gave his Son. And grace is not a word that signifies God's kind disposition or His generosity towards us. It's not simply that. Grace refers to the very gift of God Himself. It refers to His self-giving. God gave Himself to us and for us. That's grace. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Now that's John 3.16. If we read on in John, and John's very careful how he's written his gospel, you have John the Baptist again, and he's rejoicing that he hears the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the Son. And then John goes on to say, the Son gives the Spirit without measure. The Father gives the Son. That's grace. The Son gives the Spirit. That's grace. And that's grace upon grace. And what John is telling us is that from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. 
He's given His Son. He's given His Spirit. We've received grace upon grace. And if we have received His Son, John says, and here we come back to our text, verses 12 and 13, if we've received His Son, we've received something else. So verses 12 and 13. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. God the Father has given us His Son, and to those who receive Him, the Father also gives us the right to become children of God. Children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now here is the significance of this. John has told us that what we see in Christ is the revelation, the manifestation of the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son. And that is turned outward to us, and we see their eternal love and their eternal life. Now we have received grace upon grace. Having received the Son, John says we have received the right to become children of God. And this is the grace that we have received. It's not just a knowledge or an appreciation for who God is, for the revelation of the Son. But what John is telling us here is that when we receive the Son, we enter into His very Sonship. We become sons of God with Him. And again and again, Jesus is going to talk about in this gospel the love of his Father. And he tells us, the the love with which the Father has loved me, I now love you. And I, I give you my Father's love. And so here at the very beginning of the gospel, Jesus says, if you receive me, you become sons. You become children. And this is why at the end of the gospel, Jesus makes this declaration to Mary. This is after the resurrection. They're in the garden. And this is what Jesus says to Mary Magdalene. He says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. And that is the first time in the Gospel that Jesus refers to his disciples as brothers. He's he's referred to them as his friends. There's a bit of a, you know, there's a promotion that happens. They're disciples, they're friends. Now he says, go and tell my brothers this. I am ascending to my Father. And we have heard Jesus speak of my Father, my Father, my Father again and again in the Gospels, but he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And this is the grace that he gives. He gives us himself. He gives us his life. He laid down his life for our sin. And then he gives us the spirit. And the spirit that he gives us is the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's my prayer that none of us leaves here today without the assurance that we are his children, that we share in the sonship 
of the Son, that we can cry out with him, Abba, Father. So John says he was in the world, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is unbelief. Not recognizing him, not receiving him. But then John turns to us, and the question that is implied in this text is, do you recognize him? And do you receive him? And it is the Spirit of God who gives us eyes to recognize him. We see him. And in Jesus, we see the glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And it's by the Spirit of God that we receive him. The Spirit of adoption. And by that Spirit, we know that we are children of God. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, go and tell my brothers. Now, John, in this opening prologue, introduces us to John the Baptist, and that's important. This is where I conclude. I haven't totally forgotten about John the Baptist and all this. Now, we're going to come to John the Baptist next week. But John came to bear witness to the light so that all men might believe through his testimony. And remember what John's ministry and his preaching was all about. Repentance. Repentance. So yes, he wants us to recognize the Son. Yes, he wants us to receive him. But we will not recognize him and we will not receive him without repentance. And you need to know that your sin in your life and the sin that you are refusing to repent of right now obscures the glory of the Son so you can't see him. And it robs you of his grace. And if you persist in that sin and you refuse to repent of it, the glory of which John speaks here is going to fade. It becomes more and more obscure. You find you're falling back into darkness. And the grace of which John speaks here, the very gift of the Son, the gift of the Spirit, the right to become children of God, you'll start to doubt that. Am I really a child? And again, you're going to fall back into darkness. And so we cannot just reflect today on recognizing the Son and receiving the Son without also repenting of our sin. Remember what John says, and Pastor Mike alluded to this in his prayer. John 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. This is what Jesus says. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. And why? Because their works were evil. Now consider the darkness in your own life this morning. Do you love the darkness more? Maybe pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe you're concerned for your own name and your own reputation. Maybe you love your autonomy and your independence and you don't want to submit to Christ. Maybe it's your money and your financial security 
that you love. Maybe you're holding on to bitterness. You're grumbling and complaining. You don't want to let that go. Well, Jesus says people love the darkness more than the light because their works were evil. And John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light by calling people to repentance. So this morning, you need to renounce that darkness. Renounce that evil. Repent of that sin. Because in that repentance, you will come to see the glory of the Son more clearly. You will come to know and receive His grace more fully. And now we come to the Lord's table. We come to the Lord's table in repentance. And we come to the Lord's table recognizing our Lord in the breaking of bread. And we receive Him in the breaking of bread. Notice that. Repentance, recognition, reception. We repent, we recognize, we receive. It all happens every Sunday when we come to this table. We repent of our sins. But then remember the experience of the two disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection. After that long journey to Emmaus, they sat down at table with Jesus. And Jesus took the bread. And he broke it. He blessed it. He gave it to them. And we're told that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him in the breaking of bread. And he gave them that bread and they received it. And so once again this morning, let us repent of our sins. And then let's recognize the presence of the Son with us in the breaking of bread. And let's receive him in the gift of this bread. For all those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.